0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We wanna welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ and his power and love even now as you listen. So we started a new series in the gospel of Luke called Tell Me the story of Jesus, and what we're doing in the series is we're walking through the story of Jesus and the gospel of Luke, and we're especially focusing on texts that are unique to Luke. There are a lot of, of texts that are unique to the gospel of Luke. They're not found in any other gospel, and that's the case with our text today, as well. We're gonna be in chapter seven today in verses 11 through 17 and talking about when God visits his people. Luke chapter seven, if you would find that in your copy of God's word. And we'll begin reading with verse 11. Afterward he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearer stopped And he said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for new life. We thank you for resurrection. We thank you that we have a risen savior and that the resurrection of Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That we're in Christ. His resurrection is the guarantee of our own resurrection. And Lord, today as we see this beautiful text, that points to that very thing and that also shows us just the, the tender, compassionate heart of our Savior. We, we pray that you would speak to us in the power of your spirit through your word. And we pray it in the matchless name of Jesus, amen. So, last week, we, we saw Jesus reaching out in compassion and touching a, a leper who was made, made whole and, and made clean. And Jesus did there what, what no one else would, would do because they were afraid that in, in touching someone like a, a leper that they could become ceremonially unclean. And then we saw Jesus reaching out in compassion and touching another kind of leper because Matthew was a social leper and he had he had made himself that because of his behavior. But we, we saw that, that Jesus in compassion makes Matthew whole. And so what we saw was was it was Jesus uh, taking the, the physically and the morally unclean and making them clean. Michael Card says this of, of Jesus. He says, cleanness seems to flow out of Jesus. He touches the unclean and they become clean. He touches the dead and they become alive. It is just one indication that a new world is at hand and death and uncleanness have met their match. Indeed. And that's what we're going to see today as, as well This little story is found only in the Gospel of Luke. And sometimes it is overlooked, but it is incredibly important and rich and beautiful. And it looks back to the Old Testament. It looks forward to the resurrection of Christ and to our own resurrection as those who are in Christ. So what do we see in this beautiful story? First of all, the deep sorrow of a broken world in verses 11 and 12. God designed a world without death and without the sorrow that accompanies death. Death and the sorrow that accompanies it does not enter into the picture until sin enters the picture in Genesis 3. And one day, God will remake this world. There's gonna be a new heaven and earth when Christ returns. That does not include death. That does not include sorrow. And we see beautiful pictures of this, even beginning in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 25 and verse 8, it says when he has swallowed up death once and for all. In in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul is talking about resurrection, he's drawing from Isaiah 25. Death has been swallowed up in victory. When he has swallowed up death once and for all, the Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face And John picks up on this in Revelation 21 when he gives this beautiful vision of the new heaven and earth. And he says on that day that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And so there is going to be a death of death and all of the sorrow that accompanies death. But right now, we live in a Genesis 3 world where death and sorrow are a reality. And we see that painfully demonstrated in this story. In verses 11 and 12, look at the text. Afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain, His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him just as he neared the gate of the town. A dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. Now, every death brings sorrow. Every funeral has its degree of sadness, even if we know that the person who who died is with the Lord, but then there, there are some deaths that are especially shattering. And pastor, the, the funerals that I've done for babies and toddlers and teens, it's the death of these, of these young people that just is, is absolutely tears tears and just is so traumatic for for families. In in Eric Larson's book The Splendid and the Bio, which is a it's a, a very moving portrait of Winston Churchill and his his family, but but Larson tells about the day in August of nineteen twenty one when the Churchill's little daughter Marigold she was two years and nine months old became suddenly ill and died and both uh, Churchill and his wife Clementine were at her bedside and, and, and Churchill wrote later on that when that little baby girl died that Clementine, the mom, emitted a, 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 it was like, she, she Churchill said she shrieked as if like, a, like an animal that was mortally wounded, just, just, just visceral pain and that's that's what we're seeing here in this, this story. So it says he's on his way to a town called Nain, and his his disciples and, and a large crowd are are, are with them, and he's nearing the gate of, of this town. Nain was basically a village. It's hard to even you can't really it's hard to even call, refer to it as a city or even a town. It's basically a little village. It was six miles southeast of Nazareth where Jesus grew up, Nazareth itself was just a little village as, as well. It's possible because of the proximity that these two families even knew one another, Jesus' family and this, this family, given the social dynamics of, of, of Galilee and the way people knew one another, it's, it's possible. Um, but it's just, it's, it's a little village six miles southeast of Nazareth. Luke says that Jesus was approaching with a large crowd that included his disciples. And there are 12 of them now. We met five of them last week. But it's been rounded out. All 12 of them are there. There's a large crowd of people that are traveling with them also. And so as they are approaching the little village of Nain, they're coming in, and there's another crowd that's coming out of the city gate. Verse 12, just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. Now, given the Jewish customs of the time, in all likelihood, the young man had died that day. They usually did the burial the same day. And so the emotion is still raw. And the, the corpse is on top of what is called here an open coffin, but it really, it was not what we would call a coffin at all. It was more like a funeral beer, like a, a pallet, a stretcher basically, with the body on top of it. And again, Luke kind of goes out of his way here in verse 12 to mention the large crowd. There's a large crowd that's coming out, meeting the large crowd that's coming in. The large crowd that's coming out would have basically been the whole village. (laughs) I mean, everybody knows each other in these little villages. It would have been the whole village, basically, that was a part of that that funeral procession. And beside the, the... the dead dead body being being born, beside beside this pallet burying the body would have been the mom, who is obviously in distress. And they are headed outside the town to the family burial place, probably a cave. And when they get to the cave, the 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 bones of this woman's husband would have been in a a, a box and now the body of her son is going to be placed in another shelf beside the bones of her husband. Luke goes out of his way to say here that she was a widow, that he was her only son. Now, this would be, be sad under any circumstances in any culture but at this time and in this place, especially so because a widow who, without a son, was in about as vulnerable a position as you could possibly be in. This is not a situation where, you know, women could kind of work and support. Uh, themselves, there's kind of no kind of you know, government safety net or whatever. She was being put in a situation where she would have been dependent on basically, you know, public charity for the rest of her life. It was an incredibly vulnerable position to live in. New Testament scholar Joel Green, in his commentary on Luke, says this: Most telling in Luke's account is his portrayal of this woman's catastrophic state. She is a widow who has lived since her husband's death in relation to her only son, himself a young man. With his passing, she is relegated to a status of dire vulnerability. But then comes Jesus. And the second thing we see here is the deep compassion of Jesus in verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, don't weep. Luke says here, when the Lord saw her. I mean, we can look at people in pain and not really see what they're going through. Sometimes we don't see it at all. Or, Or at best, we see it not completely, We we can't look and truly see the depths of someone's pain. But Jesus can. Jesus can enter into the depth of your pain. He sees it all. He understands it completely. He sees right through to the heart of your pain. He always sees. And it says that he had compassion for her. And the, the Greek word there is a word that really refers to like the inner organs of a person. It means that he had compassion just from, the, the, from, from his inner self, the innermost part of himself. The NIV translates it that his, his heart went out to her. And he says, don't cry. Now on one level, this is just human. Human, you know, compassion and drawing near. Don't cry. But there's another level too. There's a theological level because what has Jesus just said in the previous chapter? In chapter six and verse 21, Jesus says, blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. You see, Jesus is the one who turns sorrow into joy. The third thing that we see here is the almighty power of Jesus in verses 14 and and 15. Let's look at verse 14. Then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearer stopped. Everything stopped, the whole procession stopped. This was not supposed to happen. Just like you were not supposed to touch a leper because it would make you ceremonially unclean. You were not supposed to touch a dead body or even the thing that the dead body was resting on because it would make you ceremonially unclean. But we've already seen Jesus crossing these conventional boundaries, right? Again, Michael Card says so powerfully, when Jesus touches the coffin, he renders himself unclean from the corruption of the dead body, but remember, in Jesus the flow has been reversed. His touch does not absorb uncleanness, rather life flows in the other direction. Life flows, life And now, Jesus speaks not to God, but to the corpse. Verse 14, again, and he said, young man, I tell you, get up, it's a command. He's issuing a command to the dead body now, the placement of the story is very interesting. Remember, Luke is a literary artist, and so placement is important. What's happened just before this story? So just before this, Jesus is entering Capernaum, which kind of becomes his base of operations in Galilee's. Raised in Nazareth, but during his public ministry, Capernaum was kind of his home base. So Jesus is entering into Capernaum one day, and these Jewish elders meet him. They're in distress, and they're telling him about this centurion who's a Roman soldier, a Roman officer. And this centurion has a servant who is desperately ill and on the verge of death. Now, typically, they did not have much to do with Roman soldiers, but this Roman soldier was different. Um, this guy, has been, he's been raised in paganism, you know, but he's, 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 come to, he's come to believe in the one true God of Israel, which is demonstrated by the fact that he has helped these people build their synagogue in the city of Capernaum. And so... This man has become a believer in the one true God, and so these Jewish elders are coming out, and they tell Jesus about this man's situation. He's got this servant who's very close to him. Not just a servant, but a friend who's on the the verge of death. They have seen Jesus heal. And so Jesus is going with them in intention of, 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 of healing the man. But then the Roman soldier, the centurion, he sends emissaries, he sends sends friends to meet Jesus, and they say, they send a message from the centurion, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but you just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And then this Roman soldier draws from his own experience as a military officer. He says, for I myself... I'm a man under authority and with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. I say to this one, come, and he comes. I say to one, do this, and he does it. In other words, as a soldier, he understands the power to command. And he perceives that Jesus has the power of God to command. And so he says, You don't even have to come into my house. You just say the word. And my servant will be healed. And he was healed. Now, what's happening here in this story? Jesus is commanding. (laughs) He's commanding with the power of God. He's commanding this course. Young man, I say you. You see the tender passion of Jesus just giving, giving the young man back to his mother. But there are resounding echoes from the Old Testament that are in this text. One day, the prophet Elijah was approaching a, a small town like this. And Elijah sees this, this woman out, and she's gathering wood, sticks for a, a fire. And the prophet is, is, is uh, he's thirsty, he's hungry, and so he asks this woman, who we're told is a widow with an only son. And Elijah asks her if, if she will bring him some, some bread and a cup of water to drink. And she says, "I'm out here and I'm gathering sticks for a fire because I'm I'm going to prepare I have a tiny bit of flour in a jar and a tiny bit of oil in a jug. And I am preparing what is to be a last meal for myself." and my son, and we're going to eat this meal and we're going to die, because we're starving. And Elijah says, the Lord has a message for you. It's not gonna go down like that. Instead, what's going to happen is that your jar of flour is not going to run empty and your jug of oil is not going to run dry it's just gonna keep coming until rain comes and things normalize and this famine is, is over. And that's what happens. And so for many days, Elijah stays with them. They welcome him, they show hospitality, they, they have a special room for Elijah, and he becomes a dear friend to this, this, this widow and to her only son, and then tragedy strikes. And the young man suddenly dies, And we pick it up in 1 Kings 17. But Elijah said to her, give me your son. So he took him from her arms, brought him up to the upstairs room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy on the widow I am staying with by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out over the boy three times. He cried out to the Lord and said, Lord my God, please let this boy's life come into him again. So the Lord listened to Elijah, and the boy's life came into him again, and he lived. Then Elijah took the boy, brought him down from the upstairs room into the house, and gave him to his mother. Elijah said, look, your son is alive. Now do you hear the echoes here in Luke 7? Jesus in- encounters this funeral procession just outside the, the gate. He encounters this widow just outside the gate. Elijah encounters this This widow of an only son just outside the the gate. Both are poor widows with nothing but an only son. In both cases, the son is raised from the dead and then the prophet and Jesus both tenderly hand the son back to the mom. But there's also... A crucial difference in the two stories, right? Elijah cries out multiple times to God to restore the life to the Son. Jesus doesn't cry out to God. Jesus doesn't even speak to God in Luke 7. Jesus speaks directly to the corpse. What does this tell us? about the identity of Jesus. See, he's more than a prophet. (laughs) He's the one the prophets were were pointing to. (laughs) He's the one Elijah was crying out to. Again, New Testament scholar Joel Green says Jesus the Lord fulfills the role performed by the Lord God in 1 Kings 17, 21 and 22. And so, it, it, it beautifully it has beautiful echoes from the Old Testament. Luke 7, this, this text looks back, but it also looks forward. forward. Forward to the day when Jesus' own mother was going to be racked with pain as she sees her son dying on the cross. It looks forward to the time when Jesus was going to be taken outside the gate of Jerusalem for burial. And that was Friday. Sunday's coming. And so it points to the resurrection of Christ, but beyond that, to our own resurrection, the resurrection of those who are in Christ. Because when he comes... We are going to to rise with, with glorified, imperishable bodies. Bodies that will no longer be subject to death and to sorrow. Every tear is going to be wiped away. And so it beautifully looks back and it beautifully looks forward. The fourth thing that we see here is the response of the crowds in verses 16 and 17. Now, do you remember in verses 11 and 12, Luke goes out of his way to mention large crowds. He says in verse 11, there was a large crowd that was with Jesus that was coming into the village. He says there was a large crowd in this funeral procession in verse 12 that was coming out Two large crowds. Now, when you pay attention to detail in Luke, he's not wasting details. They're almost always there for a reason. And see, now we know why. (laughs) Now we know why these large crowds. Because what happens in verse 17? This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. And see, when you look at the overall theme of Luke and Acts, what is the point that is being made? It's the message of the gospel going forth. The message of Christ's death for sinners and his resurrection from the dead being heralded forth, spreading. Acts 1.8, Luke says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? And we see the beginnings of that here in Luke 7 as these large crowds are now gonna go forth and herald what they have witnessed. Notice the reactions here in verse 16. It says, then fear came over everyone. This is not like a terrified fear it was more like a holy awe. Now we have like so cheapened the word awesome <laughs> in our culture, right? I'm as guilty of it as anybody. I say that word all the time. Oh, it's awesome. You know, we, but, but when, the Bible, when, when the Bible talks about this, it's talking about like awestruck. Like the, the people were just, they were awestruck. Speechless. Speechless just like a holy, reverent awe just came over them. And then after that, the party was on. <laughs> the celebration was on. It says they, they glorified God. They, everybody was praising God and they were saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. See, they're still putting the pieces together about who Jesus is. A great prophet is among us, yes. But somehow more than a prophet. God, God has visited his people. Let's pray. You know, the Bible says that apart from Christ that we are, are dead in, in sins. Ephesians 2 says we're spiritually, we're dead in trespasses and sins without Christ. We're just sleepwalking through life. We appear to be alive on the outside, but we're spiritually dead apart from Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that he's a life giver. Life flows from him. He gives life. He died for sinners like you and me so that we can be forgiven. He rose from the dead that we may have life, abundant and eternal. He takes what's dead and makes it alive. It's going to If we're in Christ, he's going to raise us physically one day. But even now, when we turn to Jesus and trust him, he raises us from the dead spiritually. And you were invited to experience that. You were invited to experience the life that comes from Christ. Turn to Jesus. Trust him. Call to him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've never done so, call out to Jesus. Say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need a Savior. Believe you died for my sins, that you rose from the dead unto you. I'm calling out to you. If you're in Christ, Let's think about what happens in this text in relation to us. Think about something that you're going to face this week or maybe this year that you, you are dreading, that you fear, that you were anxious about. Or maybe it's a burden, a, a pain, grief. You're in grief. Many of us are in grief today. You let Jesus approach. You let him approach you right where you're at. Let him approach and touch and speak and even command in your situation. Open yourself up and let the spirit work in that situation. Let the risen Christ encounter you now in that. In a moment, we're gonna stand and sing a song about his deep, deep love. And if you are are here and you are turning to Jesus... We want to invite you to to make that public. We want to celebrate with you. We want to rejoice with you. Maybe you would say, I I need to be a part of this church family, or I need to be baptized as a believer. As others stand, we want to invite you to come. I'll be here to receive you. We want to celebrate that with you. We want to make this a time of celebrating together with you. Maybe you're here and you just need to to pray with a brother or sister, or with me, or at the altar. Sometimes it helps to physically mark significant moments and commitments. It's open for you to do that. And so Lord, we ask you to have your way in our lives right now. Lord, we thank you for your deep, deep love, your compassion, your power. And Lord, we thank you that we can, we can know you today through your son. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life right now.